As we get going, we're going to look at Isaiah first. Isaiah 60. We're going to look at the first seven verses, just as a really an introduction to this message. So if you're there, arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All the nations will come to light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your hearts will thrill with joy. For merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you wealth of many lands. Vast caravans of camels will convey on you the mountains of Midian and Ephah. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and come worshiping the Lord. Verse 7. The flocks of Kindar will be given to you and the rams... I don't know how to say that. Nabathoth will be brought for my altars. I will accept their offerings, and I will make my temple glorious. I know we were reading that, but the microphone was kind of going out, and I wanted to read that again. I just uh, It's so applicable to the verses that we're looking at today. We're actually going to be, though, in Matthew. And before we get going, I know there's uh, some new people here, and I just wanted to look today. I felt that we should look at a timeline of what we've studied today. Maybe Matthew chapter 2. Kind of a, another review. I always do a review, but I want to do a little bit of a more of a review today. Because we are studying through the Gospels in chronological order, verse by verse. So just uh, two months ago or so, we started in John 1.1. And from there, we learned from who Jesus is. And then we continued. Uh, we turned to Matthew and Luke, and we saw the, geneolo- the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. And I, you don't need to turn there as I look through all these, but in Luke 1, 5 through 25, we studied the foretelling of John the Baptist and his birth. We continued in Luke, and we seen how Jesus' birth was revealed to Mary. We saw then how they traveled to Nazareth, um, and she visited Elizabeth. And then they seen in verse 46 through 56 how they praised the Lord. Then uh, in verse 57 through 56, we saw how John the Baptist was born, and then we saw his father praise the Lord. Uh, then we went to Matthew, started in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We've seen how Joseph was told about Jesus and Mary and what would take place. Then we turn to Luke chapter 2. Again, I'm going through a quick outline. Uh, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Uh, we learned that through God's divine plan that Mary and Joseph had traveled the 80 miles. They had left behind their old life in Nazareth. Jesus was born, according to the prophecy, in Bethlehem. We continued in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. We learned about the angels. Uh, they delivered the message to the shepherds. Uh, we studied last week about the three ceremonies that took place, the circumcision, naming, uh, Mary's purification, and the dedication in the temple. We also saw the prophecies from Simeon and Anna, if you remember last week. So I just I want to go through that really quick because we are going through the Gospels in chronological order. So who last week, as we went through the passages last week, who remembers the main application or the text that we studied? Think about this. Who, what was that, the main lesson? We talked about it just now. The, the three ceremonies and Simeon and Anna. What was the main me- lesson or application that I went over? The first one was I asked you guys all the questions that were here. Are you being led by the Holy Spirit or is there something coming between you being led by the Holy Spirit? I asked another question. Are we living a life that is dedicated to serving God, and the second part of that question, what were the qualities of someone that was living a life that was dedicated to God? Look at, just turn real quick, we'll look at Luke, real quick. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, I don't think it's on the screen. You see there, 
righteous, devout, eagerly waiting, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Remember that? I looked at that last week. So would this describe each of you this last week? Were you devout, righteous, awaiting Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit? Was that you last week? I closed last week's message with a quote. I said, the heart and the mind of a man after meeting Jesus is one without fear. Was that how your week went? I hope so. That's last week's message. Just want to review that real quick because as we go through each week verse by verse through the Bible chronologically, there's lessons that we can pick out. And I hope as we go through our week, as we start our days and we close our days, we can look at some of these lessons or these applications and just say, you know, how can this work in my life? Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 to pick it up. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they're still in Bethlehem. I don't believe they actually returned to Nazareth. Um, I believe they're still there. Uh, So we're going to pick it up in verses 1 and 2 to start today's message. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. After the time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is a newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Matthew begins this with a quick kind of review, uh, a time stamp or a timeline of when Jesus was born. We've studied that through the last few weeks, but Matthew, you know, we pick up in Matthew, kind of gives that time stamp. He explains to us when he was born. Then it continues, and it goes into these magi, these wise men who would come a long distance to come and seek Jesus and to worship him. And, you know, as we talk about the wise men, there's a a lot of people have a lot of things they want to share about the wise men, the truths or the untruths of who they really were. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of debate exactly where they were from. There's a debate of how many there really were. You know, we've always used to, oh, there's three wise men. Um, I don't know. Maybe there was. Maybe not. Um, what we do know about them is that these men obviously had studied or received somehow the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. We know that because they were looking for the sign. They were looking for this star to go and seek Jesus. And so as I see these men, what we actually truly do know about them, again, just like I talked about last week as we looked at the qualities of the men that Jesus was using, I look at these wise men, these magi, and I see qualities of these men that Jesus used. They were devout. Again, think about these wise men, what it took. They were awaiting and looking for the coming of Jesus. And then they came to worship him. There's a lot of debate also when you read this about the star. I mean, everyone's, right, you've heard about the star. It's a lot of debate. People, they try to explain it, you know, what this star was. Maybe some of you have explanations in your mind, you know, what this star was that these wise men followed. I think everyone's probably thought of this in some which way. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe it was a supernatural occurrence from God uh, to fulfill the prophecy and point these wise men to Jesus. I don't think that we need to try to explain or justify how this star could have happened or appeared in the sky. You know, some people say that when two planets align just perfectly on this time, I don't believe it. I think it's just a divine, supernatural occurrence that the Lord put there to guide these men to see Jesus. There's lots of opinions on it, though. Lots of discussions about the star. Um, I just think it was, it was just God. I don't, you know, I don't need another explanation. And I don't think there is one, because when you read further, you'll see it kind of appears and then it travels. So obviously, if it was planets or something, it wouldn't do that. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. King Harold was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as it was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? This guy, we've all familiar with him. We know he was nasty. He killed 
actually everyone that he believed was a threat. He killed a lot of his family members. Uh, he killed his own family. If he thought that anyone was conspiring against him to remove him from his position, he killed him. Uh, we know the story. He's very nasty. So now he sees a new threat is brought forth. And he's seeking now to find this newborn king that they're mentioning. It is, uh, it's interesting also, if you, you notice that the whole city actually noticed, if you looked at the verse, noticed when these wise men showed up. It wasn't just the king or you know, the important people. But if you look at the verse, everyone knew when these people showed up. There was a large procession probably that came with these wise men. As they came into town, everyone seeing this large procession of these you know, people from this other country dressed differently, talking differently, I'm sure. They all showed up, and they're like, what is going on? They're questioning. This obviously would seem something important. So let's see how this meeting's going to go in verses 5 and 6. In Bethlehem, Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judea. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. These religious leaders, they've revealed now through the prophets, through the scriptures, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So he got his answer, right? He wanted to know. He got the answer. So what's he going to do? Look at verses 7 through 8. Then Harold called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me, so I can go and worship him too. So he's investigating. He's looking into this. He wants to gather any information and learn how he can find this king. So now he knows by this here, from when the star first appeared, he knows about how old the child would be. He also now knows where the child was to be born. So he instructs these wise men. He's like, he's using them, really. But he's using them. Hey, go find the Messiah. Go find this king and then just come back and tell me. We know he's lying. I mean, we know the story. He's trying to use these wise men to go find baby Jesus, so then to report back to him so he could then go and kill him. He's, he's, just, he's lying because he says he's going to go to worship him, but we know that's not what his heart was going to do. Let's see that in verses 9 through 12. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, verse 12. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I found this just very interesting. As this star guided them, it seems to move. Do you see that in the passage? It says that it's, it stopped directly over the house where Jesus was staying. So it started, you know, they were from a far distant land. We don't know, in the east. We, lots of people assume where they're from. So they followed this star, but then the star guides them directly to the house and settles right above it. And it's interesting, too, as you see these wise men, what did they enter? They entered a house. It's a little different, right? It's not a manger. They didn't enter a manger. It's a house. So quite some time has actually passed. And I think there's another kind of misconception. A lot of people, I don't think most of you, but a lot of people kind of have. But think of all the events that have taken place. We believe, and I'm sure the star appeared at the birth of Jesus. Then these men, these wise men, they were looking for a sign for this star. They noticed this star, this sign. So they, they started preparing. They, 
to go and worship the king. They've been looking for him. And I'm sure, especially in Jesus' time, this would have taken quite some time. Um, perhaps it wasn't even a good season to travel. I, I, you know, I don't know. We don't know exactly when this transpired or when this took place. But I'm sure as they would travel, you'd want to travel in certain seasons, especially in that time. Um, if it was winter, they probably wouldn't travel. There was a certain season for that. Um, you know, this travel, I'm sure, would have taken possibly several months, not only but to plan, to get ready, um, then the actual traveling. And so as things transpired, basically what we can gather out of this is we probably believe that Jesus was somewhere, and again, this is just an estimate, it's not even one to two years old, and the whole time they had been living there. You know, most of us, as we see the nativity sets in, at uh, Christmas, and we see the different movies, you know, you always see the manger and the animals, I don't know about the animals either, <laughs> and you see the wise men there. But biblically speaking, it's really not how it really took place. We know that this is actually probably a year or more later. You know, as I think about these wise men, what they went through to find Jesus, to worship Jesus. For years and years, they had obviously studied because they knew this prophecies. They knew this passages somehow. Um, you can look back, maybe some people says it goes back to Daniel. Um, we really don't know how that transpired. But there are years they're looking now for this sign that they believe would be revealed to them. Then, after they found this sign, at a great expense, obviously, this would have cost lots of money for them to travel, to put all this together, to go seek and follow this star. And you think about the faith it would take to see a star and just to go start following it in the, in the night. That'd be interesting. But then, so they traveled this great distance, all looking to go worship Jesus. Then they come before the king. They finally, they find him after they go through all these things. And what do they do? They present their gifts to the king. As I think about this and I read this, there's the gifts. You can get into the gifts and what they mean. Um, I think it's good for a Bible study to look at that. But what I see was a lesson just in the wise men alone. Um, these gifts were very expensive. They're very valuable. But think about not just the gift, but think of all that it cost these wise men to go and seek to worship Jesus. I mean, from years previous, think of the cost. It would have been, in, it would have been a lot. It would have been a life dedicated to go seek Jesus. Uh, before we move on to the next passages, I want to look again at verse 12. Because I like this. It says, When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return. I found this interesting because these men set out to go seek Jesus, to worship Jesus. But God protected these men. He protected these the worship. He instructed them to return a different route because... They would have been possibly even killed. I'm not sure. But I just, I found that amazing because, you know, it, they went in faith. And when they faced danger, God intervened and protected them. So I think that, uh, again, another lesson for all of us. If God is, we have, we're called to worship God, Jesus. And when we will truly look at sometimes the cost of worshiping Jesus, we also need to recognize that God will protect us if we are truly seeking the Lord. We need to trust God as to protect us as we do worship. Because I think so much in our world today, everybody's scared, you know, if I go to church, what will happen? Uh, maybe this will happen, or maybe there's other places um, that, you know, they're scared to meet. I really think God honors people that do worship him, and he takes care of them, and we see that here. Let's look at verses 13 to 15. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, this, his mother, and they stayed until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. God continues here to speak through dreams. 
continues to f- fulfill prophecy. It's amazing as I see this and all this taking place. And I say it all the time. I try to put ourselves in the story. And what spoke to me was Joseph in this. If you could put yourself in, imagine being Joseph in this. His obedience and his faith really is inspiring to me as you read this story. And think what he went through. If you put this, imagine it happening to one of us, men. Imagine an angel coming and speaking to you in the middle of the night and saying, pack up everything you have and leave your home because there's danger. You got to go. Imagine that happening. That's what happened to Joseph there. His faith to me is just absolutely amazing as you see this take place. I mean, what would you do? Would you do like, he says he packed up. He packed everything up and left. I mean, what would you do? I know a lot of us, like the way we, we think like, oh, let me uh, get a confirmation of that. Maybe I need to pray about that for a while. It doesn't say that. It just says the angel spoke to him and told him, and he packed up all his stuff and left. And to me, that's just amazing. Can you imagine guys explaining that to your wife in the morning as you're packing up the stuff? Or what are you doing? We're leaving. We've got to go. Angel of the Lord came to me last night and said, it's time to move. Imagine that. I mean, that's amazing faith. You're like, grab your stuff. You got an hour. We're out of here. That's, that's what took place. Are we, I, I mentioned this last week, but are we truly, truly willing to be led by God and then immediately obey? What about spouses? And I just go spouses. It could go either way. Maybe God will speak to the wife or vice versa. But would you, what would you say to that? You know, maybe, hey, we're no longer called to be here. We got to go. We're going to go to the airport. We're going to find the next flight. And we're going to this country because God's called me there. Interesting. Could it happen? Would you trust your spouse? Do you trust God? I believe this type of faith and obedience is a reality for some of us in our lives that we live. For many of us in the days ahead, this is the type of faith and obedience that I believe the Lord's looking for for the people he's going to use. And uh, it's hard. I couldn't even, I mean, it'd be difficult. Vicki and I were talking about this. You imagine just getting up in the morning. Hey, I'm going to go do this. The Lord called me to do this and to be okay with that or follow them with him. So that's what Joseph did here. Angel said, go, packed it up. He went. So I think that we got to really look at that and see that obedience that Joseph shows us. Um, be hard. Let's look at verse 16 through 18. Harold was furious when he realized that the wise men from the out sorry the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Harold's first or brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramadah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are all dead. There's a plan to kill Jesus taking place here, but God, God, not the wise men, outwitted this plan. He took care of this. Then we see here in a, a really a, a rage, there was an order given to kill all of these children. It's just a, a, a murderous rage to kill these children, but it did fulfill prophecy. And you know why some of these things take place? I read this and I was like, it's just brutal. I mean, you think about it, but it did fulfill prophecy. And uh, you know, I don't understand why some of these things kind of happen this way. But as I did study on this, and I don't, I don't want to take away from how horrific this was that took place, but I think that a lot of us do have a little bit of a misconception of the story because maybe the movies or the media. You know, when I remember growing up and watching different, like, uh, biblical movies, and, I, you know, I think I see the soldiers grabbing the babies and, you know, all these things taking place. I mean, I think we've all kind of seen that. And I think just hundreds of babies getting killed. I don't, that's not really probably how it really happened. Um, you think of Bethlehem, right? This is where it t- took place. How many people lived in this village? Maybe, I mean, you, it's hard to guess, but I looked it up, and there's some estimates, but maybe two to 500 people. 
in Bethlehem at that time. So you think about that, two to 500 people, and again, okay, maybe it's 1,000. That would be really, really high, though. I mean, that'd be really high, but it could have been as low as 200, but it's somewhere in that range, probably. So think about this. How many boys, two years and younger, would have been in that village? I think you're looking maximum, I kind of looked it up, maximum, they're saying 10 to 20, if you think of a small village in Bethlehem. You could maybe crunch your numbers how you want. It's going to be still somewhere in that range. So I think we have a, a, again, I'm not trying to justify how horrific this was, but I think we do have a misconception, biblically speaking, of what actually took place. This wasn't hundreds of babies or children being killed. It's probably 10 to 20. Uh, so the soldiers did go into Bethlehem, and they did kill these children. But it's probably 10 to 20. Now, why do I mention that? Like, why would I get into that whole detail of that to, you know, kind of think that how that worked? Because I think that a lot of people read the Bible, and they read this story, and they say this didn't happen because there's no non-biblical text that will speak of this act. And I, I think you, maybe some of you have heard that. They say, oh, this isn't in, like, Josephus or the, these different writings. And, uh, you know, I... I completely 100% believe this took place, but I think maybe the reason it's not mentioned outside of biblical text, because who would want that written about some murderous rage that the guy did? I wouldn't want that written about me. I'd make sure it wasn't written about me. And so it was, it did happen, and it is biblical, but I also, I think that we need to understand probably what took place is it was a small village, and he was directly um, after this. So this horrific act, it did fulfill the prophecy that we've seen in verse 18. But I think we also have, uh, just like the wise men, we have a little bit di- different picture in our mind, probably what took place. Still a, hor- a horrific thing, though, but maybe 10 to 20 or so. Let's look at 19 through 20. When Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared to a dream in Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Now, this prophecy has been fulfilled, right? The Lord, again in a dream, has instructed Joseph where to go. But also, not only did he instruct him, but he did reassure him that it would be safe, which I like that. Let's just continue, verse 21 through 23. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned the new ruler of Judea was, sorry, he lost my place, Archibus. He was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. Again, we see Joseph being extremely, extremely faithful. Uh, He obeys God. You know, it it would seem that as they traveled back, as he's being obedient to God to go back to Israel, that he became aware of this threat. Um, I, it, the way it says it there, I said, as he was obedient, as he is faithful, then as he was going somehow, some way, we don't know, more seems to be revealed to him about this other threat. Then once again, as he's being faithful, as he's being obedient, God reveals more. God reveals more. And I think about this in Joseph and Mary and the family, and I wonder if God had told him, because God always planned him to go to Nazareth, right? We know that. I mean, you know that was prophecy. But he was just heading to Israel, probably Bethlehem, right? We see here. And so you think if God had told him to go to Nazareth first, knowing the humiliation he would face, would he have been so willing to go? I wonder that. Because where they were going is where they were from. They hadn't been back since, the best I can tell. So now they're going to go back and face all that they had faced with Mary and this miraculous birth and all of this. I'm sure they were super excited to leave Egypt and go to Bethlehem go back to their home, but I bet you they were not near as excited to go to Nazareth. Um, and God revealed, as they're heading there, oh, by the way, you're going here. 
And I, I think that's an important little kind of story because God had a plan for them to return to Nazareth. This is where Jesus would grow up. He, we know he would be known as Jesus the Nazarene. But God revealed more as they were obedient and being faithful. And it wasn't the plan I guarantee they would have wanted. The message today was seeking to worship. So I have some questions. I always have questions. Are we seeking to worship Jesus? How do we seek to worship Jesus? What does that look like? If you look at the passage today, why were these wise men seeking Jesus? I asked why we would. Why was the wise men seeking Jesus? What led them? What led them, these wise men, to worship Jesus? What was it? I'm not going to answer a lot of these questions. I hope that you would ponder these questions and ask yourself this. Um, that you would look at our own lives. Um, do we seek to worship Jesus? What leads us to worship Jesus? What led these wise men? What was the process that led the wise men to come before Jesus and lay down these gifts in worship? Because there was a process, wasn't there? It was a huge process. I see a huge lesson for all of us. What cost will we seek to worship Jesus? And, you know, there's a lot of applications you could draw these passages. I kind of, I went through them really fast, but I'm kind of, my point is kind of on Sundays is just to go through the bulk of the story. But I saw in this that they, these wise men gave a great example, and Joseph also did. But these, there was a whole process that went before them. First, the word of God. Somehow, these wise men had prophecy. Someone, I, you know, I don't know, we don't know how that took place. So it started with the word of God, and it started through the prophecy of Jesus, the Messiah, and how he would come. So they sought that out. They were looking for Jesus. Then, when they saw a sign, the star, they packed everything up and set forth on this huge journey, costing them, I'm sure, lots of money, lots of time, lots of effort, lots of work. Then, as they get there, they get threats. They knew what was going on. But in the end, they worshipped Jesus. And then, after they worshipped Jesus, God protected them. And I think there's quite a story there for all of us, because I think, as I'm preaching now to everyone sitting in church or maybe online watching, that there is a cost, usually, to come and worship Jesus. Even today, as some of you are sitting in church, um, you had to get up this morning. You had to set aside the time to get here. Those with families, I've had a family. You've got to get all the kids ready. It's, there's a, it's a process. Um, we had a potluck today, so people were, like, making food. So we all came here to worship Jesus. But there was also a whole process that got you here today. I think spiritually and physically, we need to know that there is a cost to come before the Lord. And I see these men, they were willing at any cost to worship Jesus and even give their lives to worship Jesus. And Joseph, again, just an amazing, amazing man here as he literally just hears from this angel and just packs up and says, Mary, we're going. I just find it amazing. So again, I ask the questions that I started with here is what cost will you pay to worship Jesus? Because I think there is cost. And it's it's effort. Like even just I mean, a simple thing, right? In the morning, we are to read our Bibles. We are to pray. So maybe some of you need to get up a little earlier. I don't know. There's a cost sometimes, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that all of us think that we can uh, just go and worship God, but I think we also got to see that sometimes, you know, there's sacrifices to be made in order to have that worship with Jesus. And it's sometimes it's setting a t- just time aside, putting other things. Maybe it's sports, you know. heard a strange statement the other day. Uh, maybe you've got to set up, aside that time. But there is costs, and uh, God honors that. He really honors that when there's a sacrifice made to worship him. And these wise men, they sacrificed a lot to go and find Jesus and to worship him. So I pray that each of us would see if there's anything in our lives that maybe we're setting in front of worshiping Jesus.
because I know a lot of times there's, um, you know, maybe it's Facebook. Maybe you're going to have to give up some time on Facebook. Uh, I don't know, some, some gaming. I don't know. You know, everyone's different. Everyone's got their things. But whatever it is, there is a cost. You're always going to have to set something aside to worship Jesus because we're busy and there's always a cost. So please pray with me and we'll continue our worship. The worship team could head up, please. That'd be great. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this time. As we examine your word, Lord, as we look at these stories of these wise men and how they sought you, Lord, how they heard from the word of God in some which way that we're not even familiar with, they sought you, Lord. They were devout men that took a lot of effort to seek Jesus. So, Lord, as I think all that these men went through, all they went through, all the cost, the finances, the time, the hardship, the travel, even danger. They did whatever it would take, Lord, to worship you, to spend time with you, to present sacrifices before you. Lord, just to, just, I just love this story, Lord. I just pray that each one of us would really examine our own lives, Lord, and see that if there's something that we need to lay aside, something, you know, it's almost sometimes work, Lord, that we need to just put the things of the world aside and come before you in worship. Lord, I also pray that we would have the faith and obedience as Joseph did. That, Lord, that if you would speak something to us, Lord, that we would follow as Joseph followed. That, Lord, if you said, pack up today and go and serve this way, or I want you here, or maybe it's not even a move, because, Lord, that's pretty big. I mean, I know you don't call anyone just to pack up everything in the nighttime and move. Not everyone, but sometimes. Maybe it's something else in our lives, Lord, that you say, I want you to do this. I want you to serve me in this way. That, Lord, you would just... Just speak to us, Lord, and show us, Lord, what it is to worship you. And just, Lord, I just want to lay everything at the altar before you, Lord, and just say, here I am. So, Lord, we praise you, we love you, and we thank you, Lord. Please continue just to watch over us all, Lord, and just show us, Lord, show us how we can worship you this week, Lord. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.